The following program is being brought to you on the Green Talk Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit thegreentalknetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi. Today, we're talking about the Mass Ocean Partnership, and it's an initiative for one state of the U.S., and it's it's a great example of everyone all coming together now to make a difference because uh, the Ocean Partnership is committed to helping Massachusetts create and implement the best ocean management plan possible. With us today to talk about the ocean management plan is Howard Crum. And Howard is a communications outreach manager for the Mass Ocean Partnership. His primary responsibility is the development and administration of the overall strategic communications plan. He works closely with the Strategic Communications and Outreach Committee, including uh, requests for proposals, development, management media, communications, relations, and coordination with the executive director, and he prepares and delivers presentations, draft press releases, and op-eds, assists in report preparation, and assists in expanding the partnership in number and diversity. Fortunately, Howard is not a wonky administrator, but he's trained as a marine biologist. So I think we're going to have some interesting dialogue today. Um, Howard has an MS in fish physiology from Southern Illinois University. Aquatic, he's an aquatic animal veterinarian with veterinary, veterinary medicine degree from uh, University of Pennsylvania. And he's a science communicator with an MA in science writing from John Hopkins. Howard had, has worked at several ocean institutions including the New England Aquarium, the National Aquarium, the Georgia Aquarium, and the Georgia Sea Turtle Center, where he helped to develop comprehensive communications and outreach programs. So, Howard, it's great to have you today. Are you there? Hi, Rob. Yes, I am. So, um, I understand you're high up in the McCormick Building at UMass Boston, overlooking uh, Boston Harbor? Yep, we're up in the clouds here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish I was closer to the ocean myself. So uh, tell us about why, why does Massachusetts need an ocean plan? Uh, that's a really good question. Uh, the short answer to that is because we want to keep using the ocean uh, and in, a, in, a, in an even wiser fashion uh, in, in so many different ways. So um, wh- why do you need government? We just hop in our boats and go out and use it. Yeah, it, the thing is, there, there, we do do that, definitely. Um, go out, hop in the boats, and, and head out. And, you know, dozens of other uses, uh, whether it's shipping, uh, other, other commercial fishing, aquaculture, uh, you name it, uh, some of the, the most obvious uses, 
Um, but it's getting crowded out there, uh, definitely. And I think that it's it's been recognized not just here in Massachusetts, but elsewhere, certainly around the world, and and in our uh, you know on our coastal areas that things are the resources are being tapped in a number of different ways, mm. and and so it makes good sense to to try to plan for all these uses and, and try to you know it's it's not about it's definitely not the planning is not just about protection it's about balancing protection and use uh, for for everybody yeah apparently you've got we've got all kinds of users and interest groups and in that they they care about the ocean but that they overlap and so I guess I bet you're finding you know some conflicts and uh, and and just basically because they have very different perspectives and, and different uh, interests that they bring to the ocean. Uh, were you surprised with how many different uh, di- and diverse these ocean uh, people are? Um, I think that uh, I'm, I'm not overly surprised, but I don't think that everyone has necessarily come out of the woodwork yet. I think that they're just starting to realize that this process is, is going on, this ocean management planning, this new thing, and starting to understand, well, geez, what does that mean? What does it mean for what I like to do, you know, with the ocean? Um, and I, so I think that although we may have, you know, in, in our partnership, we probably have 50 to 60 different types of users uh, represented um, or groupings, there's even more out there. In fact, everybody, you know, everybody in Massachusetts and beyond uses the ocean in one way or another, even if you don't go there directly yourself. You know, it might be the be the production of you know uh, as as a sink for carbon dioxide or a production of oxygen. So every everybody in one way or another is is using uh, this this ocean resource, this massive ocean resource. So I guess the the short answer is you know yeah I think there'll be even more people coming coming be oh that's great yeah so what do you do do you, you hold meetings or how do you get get from there to where you're going that that's another good question. I, I would say uh, back in May 28, 2008, so just a li- not too long, a little over a year ago, uh, uh, Massachusetts signed the Oceans Act of 2008, and that was the you know the starter's pistol uh, that drove and is driving this process forward very rapidly. Um, and so that was that was where we start, and it it the act called for basically developing a, a solid ocean plan in in less than really really in about 12 months. Um, that incorporated the best science available and brought people, you know, the stakeholders and public into the process to have their say uh, of how the ocean, how Massachusetts ocean state water should be managed. Um, and so there's meetings, you know, and there's nothing, you know, it sounds uh, nothing more boring to talk about than meetings, um, but when the meetings are about, uh, you know, tied to, to people's futures and livelihoods, uh, from across the spectrum, they're 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 very they're very interesting, you know, and and they're very important, critical. Yeah. Um, and so right now, this past literally twelve months, it's been gathering data, bringing people together to say, this is how we use the ocean, this is where we go, uh, this is what we how we fish, how we recreate. Um, we're bringing scientists together, and even the public saying, this is where whales are, these are where the right whales are, and minke whales, and you know, humpbacks. And trying to understand all that's going on out there, um, and pull pull together all that information to help develop the draft plan, which is out now for public comment. It's just overwhelming the number of different says of you know 
quotes from people and concerns from people and data and information. Uh, how, how can you organize all that? Yeah, it's, you, hit, you hit the nail on the head. It's absolutely overwhelming. In fact, when I applied for this job, I, I was real, I, and I still am, I was, I was pretty terrified because this is, this is an enormous, enormous project. Um, to, to try to bring together all this information and data for, from people about animals, about environment and resources. And I think, you know, in the short answer to how you do it is you set a deadline and you say you need to have a good product by X date because if you don't have a deadline, you have literally this could go on forever and ever and ever and you'd never actually even have a product. So uh, I'd, uh, sort of yeah. oddly as it sounds, the deadline is the way to get something done and start then to, to dissect, just like you would do, you know, uh, you know in a biology uh, uh, course. You start to take things apart and look at what's there and what needs to be added. Um, and so you start to take the process apart and, and try to find information. So I went down to Fish Pier to a classy meeting that you guys were holding, and the walls were covered with the maps of this, the same map, just multiple copies of the map of the ocean waters what is it, 60,000 square miles or something off of Massachusetts. And uh, what's with all those maps? Well, the maps, uh, the, there's Can't a lot of different one? ways to look at uh, marine spatial planning, and, and that's pretty much the, the, the term that encompasses what's going on here, or at least it, it definitely covers it. It's about looking at what occurs where, so hence the maps, um, what resources, you know, resources, if you want to call it them resources, they definitely fall in the categories of different animals or uh, mining resources or water depth um, that's there. And so the maps are a spatial visual representation of what's out there, what's going on, and when is it going on. So a map might be a snapshot in time for, you know, just one year, or maybe it's just a portion of the year. So it's uh, definitely looking at what's going on out there, all the main major uses, and when they occur and where they occur. So now that you've got these maps, uh, you, I understand you're hitting the road again and getting out to communities? Well, I should say that the, 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 the state uh, EEA uh, department is, is responsible, mandated with creating this plan and you know, getting out there and meeting with folks. Um, and we're, we're an organization that is supporting their work. Uh, technically and, and otherwise. And so the, the state is going to be out, in fact, next week, starting the, the 14th down at the Boston Fish Pier, is the first one, is, is the, the series of public hearings. There will be five regional public hearings. Uh, they will be out there showing people, again, saying, here's what we found. Let's, you know, let's hear your comments. You know, what do you think about the plan? Um, and then they are also going, doing a tour, uh, a, a roadshow, in essence, of, of the draft plan and going out to stakeholder groups that, that would like them to visit and talk about the plan, what it really means to them. That's very impressive. I'm surprised after drinking from the fire hose like that, you don't look like a puffer fish or something. Yeah, exactly. I think that that's you know, one of the things that surprised me the most. It, it was really scary to think how big this is. But uh, when you have a mandate to get it done, it has to get done somehow. And... Uh, I've been amazed, you know, just, just just so pleased with, you know, it's it's been such a thoughtful, thorough process and truly trying to do the best that can be done in, in that time frame. Um, and, then, and 
then moving forward, realizing that this is going to be an adaptive process because everything, more information will be coming in as we move forward every month, every year. Um, and so this, this thing will have to continue to grow. Well, it's good that you involve so many people because that gives it legitimacy, that the diversity of voices and, and input that happened along the way. Yeah, and that's what the partnership is really all about. We're not an advocacy organization other than we want everybody involved. You know, we want everybody's voice to be heard. Um, and um, I, we think that gives it, like you said, uh, that, gives it a, that gives it a strength, and that reflect, reflects reality. Um, there aren't just five groups out there that are important. There's, there's many, many different ways that the ocean are, is used. And so we want you know, those stakeholders to, stakeholders to participate. And, and so our role is to help, is to facilitate that, whether it's you know, getting information to folks, providing meetings and opportunities for them to come to. Um, but we, we definitely want, we want more involvement. Yeah, yeah, that's really the name of the game, getting them involved. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, Howard's going to tell us more about some of the animals involved in the ocean as well. Think about it, think that we could Love is an ocean, I can't forget. listening to the Green Talk Network for the latest in the sustainability and green movement for all of our futures today and tomorrow. The Green Talk Network. Spread the green. All together Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. So many key world issues today relate to energy and environment. We are living in a time where world events set us up for a major transformation of our society. Enter Dr. Bernie Balkan. Dr. Balkan is Commissioner for Energy and Transport for the Sustainable Development Commission in the UK. Whether it's the financial crisis, China's transformation, the emergence of India, or Obama's ascension, put yourself on the pulse of today's changes. Listen for Environment on the Edge with Dr. Bernie Balkan, Tuesdays at 10 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Green Talk Network. 
Keep listening to the Green Talk Network for the latest in the sustainability and green movement for all of our futures, today and tomorrow. The Green Talk Network. Spread the green. You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we're back, and with me today is Howard Crum from the Massachusetts Ocean Partnership. He's been talking about bringing together all the different voices, the plethora of interests coming together to promote uh, resilient ocean ecosystems and thriving, sustainable marine-dependent communities. Um, Howard, you haven't always been uh, managing uh, herding cats like this. Um, uh, You started in Pennsylvania. How did you get involved in the ocean? Yeah, I I grew up uh, landlocked in northeastern Pennsylvania, um, grew up on a lake and streams, and uh, I don't know whether I ever even saw the ocean before I went to, to college, um, but uh, my, I grew up on a farm, and my father had a sort of a hobby of raising trout, uh, had a trout her- uh, nursery, and so I spent a lot of time, you know, with, at the nursery and also fishing and on and in the water, so I think that, that, that was my sort of love of, of uh, aquatic things started the whole process. And then did you kind of major in that in college? Yeah, I did. And, you know, at that time, uh, well, when you were, when I, you were actually when I was a kid, and if you were interested in biology and, and stuff, you either wanted to be, you know, a biologist or a veterinarian. But there was no such thing as a marine or aquatic a veterinarian at that yeah. time. And so I sort of went down the road of I pursued both biology and veterinary medicine. Uh, and then, lo and behold, came the, the, the field, you know, sort of blossomed of aquatic animal medicine, and I was really fortunate to have a career of about 15 years of doing that, um, that kind of work. Yes, yes. Um, so th- this program, the, the goal of, of this Internet talk radio show is to present ways that individuals can make a difference, saving the ocean, saving the planet, uh, and you've made a career of doing that for marine life. Our, what do you recommend for things that uh, we each can do? Well, uh, that's a really good question. I definitely sort of ask myself that all the time. And I think you know because you've been involved in, in uh, this kind of work for years and years and years, too. You always kind of wonder. We've you know, I've worked for aquaria, public aquaria, and different research organizations, and all within a sort of an environmental uh, bent to them and, and certainly trying to preserve the environment for everyone's use. Um, but you always wonder if you're, you're making a difference. You know, you, you, you hope you're making a difference. Um, and I think over the years, um, I've found that those, this, is, this, is, this may not be the answer you're, you really want, but there's any way you try <laughs> actually makes a difference. It may, you may not see it right away, but it's definitely, you know, it's an investment. You can make an investment in such a small way. It's like planning for your future for your retirement. You know, you can make a small way investment, whether you're volunteering at an aquarium or you're helping out an environmental group or you, with your business, you know, you're looking at ways to, quote-unquote, do the right thing and 
try to spare the environment or use resources wisely. I mean, there is there, there, it's not ju- green is not just for environmental folks anymore. So it's everywhere and virtually you can do it in, in, in a multitude of different ways. Um, I, I feel really fortunate in the, at the partnership where I'm working right now. I know that on a daily basis we're having an impact and we're trying, you know, we're definitely, you know, making some sort of a difference in, in for the future. So, Well, that's, that's really it. You know, you were looking at ways of the trout and the farm you, you were at and you've continued looking at ways that things go at and the way the you know, systems work and stuff. And, and, you know, you're always questioning and, and communicating. You know, when I was directing education and you were tending the fish at the aquarium, you had a big responsibility, but you would take the time from your work to communicate with us more educator types and stuff. And, and uh, I think that's a, that's a big part of it is, is taking time to communicate with other people. Yeah. Uh, and as, as you know, it's a skill that you, it's good to practice with, you know, that um, I enjoyed reading your, your bio at the beginning because it, it, it points out that, you know, you actually took time to study science writing. It isn't just something that comes natural, that it, it, there are skills and tools to pick up along the way. Yeah, exactly. And it, it is important. I mean, you touched on a really important thing, that, that those stories, those individual animal people stories that are related to this, make a huge difference. And so, like you said, working at the aquarium, we would talk about, you know, a sea turtle that was sick, an individual animal, and what was wrong with him. But that one animal and its story could resonate with, you know, dozens, hundreds of people, and they could start to understand these big, complex issues, you know, their faceless issues, until until an animal or a person, you know, puts a face on them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Tell us more about, um, we, we lost you from the New England Aquarium by the lure of sea turtles down in Georgia. What was that about? Yeah, well, I ended up going down, um, they were building the, at the time, the world's largest aquarium in Atlanta. And so that was an exciting project to be a part of. And I got to work with uh, uh, whale sharks, which we uh, transported from, uh, from Taiwan to, to, the, to the United States and put them in this enormous exhibit so everybody could see and learn their stories. And well, slow down. Tell us how big a whale shark is. This is not just some dogfish that you took in the soup. No, this is the largest fish in the world. I mean, <laughs> this, is, this is it. There isn't anything bigger. Um, they can get, you know, on average, they'll be 45, 55 feet long. Um, and and that's, a, that's a big fish. And you rode it from, from Japan to California? <laughs> we, we, we flew them in, in, uh, in Jumbo's, you know, 747. Basically. Good grief. Yeah, it was really exciting. Uh, that was probably the, the part that was, you know, very intriguing to me to be able to work with these animals. Um, we bought them from some fishermen over there that you know, were, were, were going to be sold as food, so we purchased them the aquarium, and, and then under sort of a surprise sort of secrecy plan, um, flew them back to the United States. And um, Actually, we trained them over there to learn how to eat out of our hands and, you know, the whole nine yards for a month at a time, and then trained them how to them into their, their little containers, and, and I should say little containers, 20 foot long. Uh, you shouldn't have any trouble hitting their mouth with your hand. They have a big size mouth. Yeah, no Maybe no you problem. should study it instead of have them train and eat from you, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so how, yeah, how do you so doing some of that? And then, this then, guy's got a huge mouth on it, and you're in the airplane there. What are you, what are you doing to keep it alive? Are you throwing full-size tuna down it? or No, actually, <laughs> it's the, it was the opposite. 
uh, situation. We wanted to, we stopped feeding them about 24 hours before the flight because sharks uh, and other fish will excrete waste through their gills and, and then, of course, out the usual routes. And so to help keep their water clean for that flight, um, we didn't feed them right beforehand right. and we didn't want to feed them during the flight um, so that we could keep their water nice and clean for them. They, can, they could go weeks to months, you know, without yes. feeding with no problem. So um, it, it was That's good. interesting. So they, they would feast and then they can salmon and... So the yeah. challenge was to keep the gills wet and to keep them, get the oxygen flowing, I guess, over them. Exactly, exactly. That is really fascinating. Yep. Um, let's see, where are we now? <laughs> oh, so what species of turtles did you work with in Georgia? Um, well, Georgia, we were working primarily with uh, loggerhead sea turtles um, because they would come and nest on the beaches there. Uh, and uh, they, they were building a really innovative, beautiful uh, rescue and rehabilitation center that also had uh, communications and outreach, uh, strong communications and outreach component where the folks, people could come right in and go right through the hospital and see what was going on, watch surgeries, you know, and see the animals while they're being cared for. And again, to put, you know, an animal face on the stories so they could they could find out about an, a, a specific Right. Role. Why are the loggerheads ending up in the hospital? Lots of different reasons. Uh, they, one, one issue might be they had swallowed fishing hooks or, or fishing line and gear. That, that's a possibility. Or, or other trash and, you know, the things that would be floating in the water because they, they could easily mistake trash for, for food. Um, so that's, that's real. They could be struck by boats with propeller cuts. Um, and they can also get caught in fishing nets and, and are submerged for prolonged periods of time. So they're basically half-drowned. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah, because they have to, as you know, uh, they're reptiles, and they breathe air. They don't have gills, so they can only stay underwater for so long. Um, and if they're stuck, stuck in a net or, or something like that, they have the potential to drown as well. So, and is, so is there, are there hope for the loggerheads of Georgia? Or are they? Well, I, I think that uh, nesting cycles go up and down, and I think that there's hope for nesting there. Uh, I... I I'd say in the broader perspective of sea turtles, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult situation. Again, it comes back to ocean uses. You know, There's lots of things going on out there that impact sea turtles because they live so broadly. Um, they come up here you know, in, in Massachusetts, in you know, Cape yes. Cod Bay. But um, you have citizens that are, are working, what, walking the beaches? or Yeah, that was my first introduction, working here at the New England Aquarium. And one year we had a heavy stranding event, I think we can't remember exactly how many we had, but 50 or 60 uh, sea turtles stranded all at one time right, you know, in, in winter. Um, and people, people at, especially the Audubon Society and other stranding networks down on the Cape, walk the beaches when they know that sea turtles are out there. And uh, if, they're, if they're stuck on the beach, they would call the aquarium and, and uh, we would rehabilitate them and move them, hopefully back, back out to the ocean when it was appropriate. So beach watching is something you can do, to, beach walking is something you can do to help, you know, Help wildlife, I guess. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good. That's a good. Good point. No yeah, being out there and observing. Absolutely. Uh, that it's. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back with Howard to talk more about saving healthy oceans uh, after the break. Thank you for 
are listening to the Green Talk Network. Help to spread the green by involving your family and friends. You're doing your part. Now help them think green. Spread the green. The Green Talk Network. All together Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Have questions about wind power? Listen for the TLG Wind Power Hour with Terry from TLG Wind Power Products. He'll cover the ins and outs of wind energy with you, whether you're a do-it-yourselfer or want a ready-made product. Let Terry give you the know-how and understanding of making wind energy work for you. Terry will share decades of hands-on experience so that you don't have to learn about wind power the hard way. The TLG Wind Power Hour, live every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Green Talk Network. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. For listening to the Green Talk Network. Help to spread the green by involving your family and friends. You're doing your part. Now help them think green. Spread the green. The Green Talk Network. You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. We're back with Howard Crum from the Massachusetts Ocean Partnership. And, Howard, um, that you must have had, um, during your ongoing work with, um, at, at UMass Boston for the Mass Ocean Partnership, there must have been uh, interesting experiences, observations, and insights into the marine life of mass waters that came to you out of this planning process. Um, what are you taking from this whole endeavor? Well, I, I'd say the, the thing that sort of, what I'm taking away from this endeavor is that uh, I've been, you know, so uh, happy hmm. 
to see. Uh, this has renewed my faith in, uh, if you will, if you'll say, re- renewed my faith in government to see, you know, such a great uh, effort to do the right thing, you know, for all the all, all the uh, various uses and, and resources that are out there in the ocean. And, and I, I was, as I sort of mentioned at the top of the show, that I was shocked that with such a Short deadline, you know, a very tight deadline. Such what great work the state folks at the uh, the executive office of uh, energy and environmental affairs uh, have done. So uh, I know that that doesn't that isn't any anything salacious to say because but, but uh, I've been just so pleased with and everybody here has been you know so pleased with the, with the work that's that's proceeded. We really did have Herculean challenges and all kinds of opportunities just to check out and not do a lot, and they certainly rose to all kinds of obstacles and just kept foraging ahead. It's really commendable. Um, and, it, and is there kind of a vision for the oceans of Massachusetts that's emerging out of this? Well, I think, I think the vision, or at least the visions for the, for the... Of how it operates, of how the system works. How the, the ocean system, itself? yeah. Yeah, I think there's going to be a, a, a much better understanding of the inter, interdependency of everything that's out there. Uh, you know, we've always looked at resources, you know, a, a fish species or, you know, a location for a use as a single sort of resource. And I think what's going to come out of this is a better understanding of the interdependency of all these different resources. You, you, you can't just touch one without affecting, you know, dozens of other, dozens, hundreds of thousands of other, other things that are out there in the ocean. So I, I think that's going to ultimately be the legacy. Uh, are you finding that it's, it's almost like an organism? Yeah, this is uh, that that's a that's a really good point. You know, I, I think we see the Massachusetts state waters and just you know the ocean itself as sort of one super organism, and there's all these other these these smaller e- ecosystems that are like organ systems, you know, within an animal, and they're all about life support. You know, whether it's the uh, you know for us the, the the minerals in our bones that support that. Part of our body. Same with you know the ocean organisms, superorganisms. There's minerals and and elements that are out there that are a resource. There's there's animal life that's all a part of you know an ecosystem that supports life. It, it is all about life support and healthy ecosystems. So it's more than just charismatic megafauna. Yep. Without again, yeah. You look at the charis- charismatic megafauna, the, which of course I. I, you know, enjoy, and everybody does. You look at the seals, and uh, and today, uh, in, in these past couple of days, great white sharks that are that are in our waters. Um, it, it's more than just them, um, but and they're not there in a vacuum. They're they're living in and on uh, everything that's around them. Uh, tell us more about the great white sharks. Well, I, I don't know whether I don't know how much I can tell you about the sharks themselves. Um, but, well, uh, just what I've been reading in the paper. I don't know if everyone's reading the local papers on the radio there. Yeah, yeah, no, no, but it's a surprise to have those animals here, but, but maybe not so much of a surprise uh, seeing what that looks like they're doing. They're uh, aggregating around seal colonies, as I understand, and seal colonies that have grown over the past decade or so. Um, and that's a, it's a perfect example of changing ecosystems. It's happening as we speak. And when it comes to ocean planning and what you do with, with and in and around the ocean, you need to be adaptive because these things are going to change. Uh, the way we knew gr- great white sharks, they wouldn't have factored into 
you know, are on the ra- they weren't wouldn't have been on the radar screen before, but here they are. It's just great that a local fisherman would take out the state uh, shark expert and allow him to place on the back of sharks these uh, uh, recording um, meters um, to monitor the so we can learn about these sharks. They managed to tag five of them. Yeah. And uh, it's, just, it's so exciting to be finally learning something about the, the, the hero of the movie Jaws, you know, was right there in Massachusetts. And uh, that didn't give him a whole lot of good PR, but uh, we're, we're very excited to be learning more. Um, so it sounds like that you're, you're setting up for some long-term kind of adaptive management, or it's just kind of prescription, and you can just go on to another project. Oh yeah, this is this is this is a definitely a long-term project. I think it's with far-reaching you know goals uh, because we want the these ocean ecosystems to be there for everyone, um, not just for for the animals that are there, but for the people that use them. And that has to be uh, an adaptive, uh, long-term approach. And so, yeah, this is a great, great, great start, and certainly. Um, we're going to be adapting the plan, or we're going to be helping to adapt the plan, help the state do their work to adapt the plan continually. Uh, the data will always be pouring in and developing a network to be able to look at, and manage, and work with that data um, to understand the ocean. Again, it's like a big organism. So just like you'd go in the hospital and look at your EKG, there's going to be an EKG and an IV and, and every other x-rays and all the other things that will help understand how healthy the ocean is. Try to get a full picture from all the different tools that you've developed to exactly. watch Don't, this uh, you know, system. Everything. And, I, I, you know, there's it's always been surprises, and I expect they'll surprise us. The ecosystem will surprise us again with the unexpected. And it's just exhilarating to know that, that the state has pulled together such a partnership to be responsive and adaptive. You know, we try to manage for resilient systems, but uh, as you said, I guess it's going to be an ongoing process. Yeah, absolutely. And lots of opportunities for citizens to uh, get out there and observe and record and then communicate their findings, right? Uh, yeah, I think this process is going to be, you know, just ripe with opportunities for people to weigh in and, and uh, yeah, be a part of the whole thing. And that You asked, you know, at the top of the show again, what can people do? Well, here's a great, here's a great opportunity. Uh, there's, you know, a constant, constant need for people to be a part of this process. So. And that means get on the water and open your eyes and look around and take note. Absolutely. Um, President Obama is putting together a ocean task force. Do you think there are lessons from Massachusetts that uh, he should take to this? Yeah, and uh, well, I was, uh, I, sh- I shouldn't say whether, yeah, I, sorry, I'm well, sorry. Go ahead, <laughs> any way I, you want to take it. Yeah, no, no, I, I was excited to learn that, that the task force is looking at Massachusetts and what we're doing here, in fact, the state folks will be down talking to the Council for Environmental, Environmental Quality this week, um, talking about the Massachusetts experiences. So this, this will be, at least in part, a model. Uh, hopefully, in parts, will be used for that national policy. It was so exciting that Jane Lachenko, the head of NOAA, would, Dr. Lachenko, would come to Hingham and climb on a boat and go out onto the Massachusetts ocean waters. Uh, it was, that's very exciting to, to see the feds um, taking note of this old Bay State, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Yeah, it's tremendously exciting. As you, as you said, you know, all these years of, you know, hoping, doing work to try to make a difference, you can see right in front of you there's, there's a chance to, to make things happen. Um, 
uh, why don't I bring on uh, Dave Wilmot, uh, who's um, with Ocean Champions. Um, and, and Dave, um, uh, talk to us about the Massachusetts connection or... or, uh, or isn't isn't what Howard say, doesn't what Howard say resonate with uh, where things are going? Well, I believe that the the task force is going to be looking at any success stories that are out there, and Massachusetts is one of one of the best ones, the best examples. And to be frank, there aren't that many examples out there of where we have seen success, even on a local or regional level. So I'm sure they'll be looking closely to see what lessons can be learned and and how to take how to take this forward on a national level, which is even more difficult than, than trying to do it, obviously, on a, on a state or a regional level. Well, here in Massachusetts, we have fishing communities like Gloucester and New Bedford. So we hear more about these fishing councils than, these, than what this mass ocean planning process is. Dave, can you help us understand the difference? Well, there there are regional fisheries councils that have been in place for decades, and I, I think that this is not that though. What's this is not this is not that the, those councils were put in place to to work exclusively on regulating ocean fisheries. Um, the reason that I think people hear about them more is because so many of the conflicts that have come up with multiple uses that you guys have been talking about in the oceans have come to a head around fisheries. And why would that be? Well, because most any region of America has had long-term fisheries in place and most are ex experiencing severe depletions. Overfishing is occurring. Species are either unfishable or not at the levels that they've been at historically. That leads to conflicts. That leads to problems. And therefore, it gets in the news. Politicians are made aware. So really, m many people's experience with ocean issues, um, if it hasn't been an oil spill, it has been fishery conflicts. And yet, the, the fishery management falls short in saving the habitat. Fisheries management, unfortunately, has almost always been single species, uh, which is flawed in, in a number of ways. It uh, misses all the connections that you all spent, spent this time talking about and, and helping people understand um, what we're, we're trying to do. We're going to take a break, and I'll be back with Howard and David Wilmot after the break. Thank you for listening to the Green Talk Network. Help to spread the green by involving your family and friends. You're doing your part. Now help them think green. Spread the green. The Green Talk Network. All together Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. 
organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Experience higher love, an archangelic journey into ascended joy and authentic living. Your hosts, Sri Ram Ka and Kira Ra, will assist you to open your heart, expand your love, and be ever-present with true joy. Your journey with Sri and Kira begins right here on the 7th Wave Network with Higher Love, Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Can we recognize our world not as a commodity, but as a sacred creation that will support us best the more creatively we live on it? Green Visions is all about how a spirit of innovation and pleasure can be brought into solving our environmental problems. Join your host, Carolyn North, each week as she talks about what citizens of the world are doing to make a difference. Heal the planet, heal yourself, and have a good time doing it. Tune in to Green Visions with Carolyn North every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Green Talk Network. The Green Talk Network is here. Spread the green. You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we're back with Howard Crum from the Massachusetts Ocean Partnership. And joining us uh, in the last few minutes has been is David, Dr. David Wilmont from Ocean Champions. He's executive director there. And we were talking about local efforts in Massachusetts to better manage the ocean waters through a collaborative process. And uh, we were noting that there's a lot of work going on by fisheries councils, yet they alone cannot address all the problems that are affecting the fish or affecting our oceans problems that include runoff and bioaccumulations and pollutants and plastics and so forth. Um, Dave, tell us some more about uh, what uh, President Obama is doing to address these uh, concerns. Well, I think the first thing that we, we have to realize with this is that we don't have an overarching policy for the oceans. Now, most people assume that we have the equivalent of a Clean Air Act or a Clean Water Act for our oceans. It would be logical, it would make sense, but we don't. Now, we have a lot of different laws in place that manage the oceans, but they do it in a very disparate way, and there's no real unifying vision. So what we're really trying to do here, what hopefully President Obama is in the process of doing, is establishing what that vision will be for America. Will we actually protect, maintain, and restore our oceans as the top priority? Because if you're going to deal with multiple uses in the ocean, you really can't do that effectively unless you have a goal. You can drill anywhere you want. It doesn't make any sense to manage oil drilling or fisheries until you have a vision for what do you want the oceans to actually look like. So that is what I believe is happening. That's what we're trying to help happen with the task force. So President Obama has asked all of the agencies make up the federal government who work on the oceans or have any relationship with the oceans 
to come together and give him recommendations in one day tomorrow. It's been 90 days since he put this in place. Give him recommendations on what a national ocean policy should be. One of the ways he's doing that is to have these listening sessions around the country. There's already been one in Anchorage, Alaska. There's one coming up next week in San Francisco. Be one in Honolulu, Providence, New Orleans, Cleveland, where the public has the opportunity, the stakeholders, to come out and share their views on what this policy should look like and how we should do it. It's a big step forward. We compliment the president. We're working, we, the environmental community, as hard as we can to have as much input as we can in this process because the reality is the system's broken. It's completely and utterly broken. There's no other way to look at it. We wouldn't have the problems we have today if it weren't broken. So it has to be put back together, built properly, or we're not going to have healthy oceans for our children and grandchildren. Dave, if people uh, want to comment on this and cannot make it to Anchorage or Providence, um, what can they do? There is an opportunity for them to provide comments or their thoughts directly to the Council on Environmental Quality. Um, they can go directly to the website um, for CEQ. Um, they can also, for example, go to Ocean Champions website and find a, a way to, to get their information, their, their views heard. Um, these are in just a few cities. You're exactly right. Uh, that input matters. I mean, the, these listening sessions, for example, Dr. Lepchenko, you mentioned earlier, she's traveling all over the country to make sure that she's sitting there listening. Sixty-five people testified in Anchorage. Our guess is, is that we'll have well over 100, possibly 150 in San Francisco. And my guess is, is that she and, uh, and her colleagues are going to be sitting there listening to every single person. Um, they'll also be reading the written comments, so people should take that opportunity to let their voice be heard, share their story, tell people, tell the, tell the president why this is so important to them. For more information, uh, please visit uh, oceanchampions.org. And as Dave is saying, that uh, you've got information up there about the, the process, and um, Ocean Champions will convey any comments that you send to them to directly to the appropriate channels there. Uh, and it's impressive. It's not just Jane Lichenko. It's some major players are taking the time to listen to us citizens. In, indeed, yes. Secretary Salazar of uh, the Interior Department was up in Alaska. Um, the Commandant of the Coast Guard, uh, the Admiral, I believe, was also there. A, a number, and I suspect in San Francisco there will be a, a good turnout as well. I mean, look, the reality is this is not health care reform. We have to recognize that we don't have that type of attention. Um, having said that, there is very little that is more important for the health of the planet than the oceans. Uh, there's nothing more important than the health of the planet uh, for the oceans. It is an important issue, but we do have to recognize where it falls. I feel that that's something that really is important. What does that mean? Well, that means we have to work even harder and find ways to capture the attention of the administration, find capture the attention of Congress so that they don't let this go. They will if they can. Our job is to make sure that they don't let it go, that they do indeed address it, address it in an appropriate way. That's where we're going. I, I compliment the president for this, I compliment the leaders on Capitol Hill who have been pushing these issues. We have our moment, and now we have to take advantage of it. So it's not just the content of what you have to say, it's the number of people speaking up that will give it political importance to keep it on the radar screen. Is that what you're saying? 
I think that that was proven during these town hall meetings in August about health care reform. We saw how a very small number of people captured the attention mm. of the media and of politicians. I attended one of these town halls in my own district. Uh, about a thousand people showed up, and, and I watched how this played out, thinking about what this means for the oceans. Bottom line is it does make a difference when people speak up. If you, they take the time away from their families and their jobs to go make public statements, politicians never miss that. Um, again, we haven't always had the types of turnouts for the oceans that we need and want. We have an opportunity here if we, with just a half a dozen of these meetings uh, to do our best to turn out larger numbers. I think we will have, like I say, 150 or so, maybe more in San Francisco. That's a significant enough number. It will catch their attention. Um, I wish we could turn out 1,000. That would catch their attention even more. Um, and we have seen ocean hearings that have had those types of numbers rarely, but we have had it happen before. Um, that's what we need. If these issues are important to people, they have to take the time and energy to speak out. And this is a new government. This is a new way of, of doing government in that in the old days you would just send the smartest person to Washington and they would have all the answers and if not we'd fire them and bring someone else in. Now it's it's really turns around to a democracy where we're putting the demos back in the democracy of the people stepping up. And um, it's important that what you're saying, Dave, is that people feel that they are needed to speak up and it's not just going to be uh, ignored, I guess. It's not lip service. Boy, I mean, we constantly try to tell people one, one vote makes a difference, one voice makes a difference. It really does. I mean, look, Ocean Champions helps get mem members of Congress elected. Um, and then we have our audience. We can go meet with them, and we have excellent opportunities. But what we've learned in doing this is that they are still paying very close attention to where their constituents are. They can never get too far ahead of their constituents, or they will get kicked out of office. So one of yeah, I got it. We're out of time. Um, this is fascinating dialogue. Uh, Howard Crumb from Mass Ocean Program, thanks a lot for being with us. And Dave, uh, thank you for your continued commentary on the ocean conservation. My pleasure, Rob. Thank you. again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Green Talk Network. We'll talk again then. Rock me in the mind.